If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been walking through the past three weeks through this letter by Paul. And we're going to finish chapter 1 today and continue on in the coming weeks, Lord willing. But we've been talking about this idea of recalibration, recalibrating our lives. Every now and then we have to recalibrate. You've got to make adjustments to make sure that you are on the path that God has called you to. And and as we walk through this letter, there's going to be topics of conversation that are hard, that they're difficult. But we can't avoid them, we can't overlook them. And last week was one of those examples when we talked about division in the church. It was a very difficult topic, but... It's important to understand where divisions are not supposed to be in order to see the the true divisions that are laid according to God's word. But as we think about today's topic and today's discussion, looking at the scripture that God has laid before us today, the question I want to ask you is, who would you consider to be some of the wisest people on the planet? Now, that's a very loaded question. I get it. Because it depends on the topic, right? Who are some of the wisest people that you know? Well, if you're more into the realm of science, you would say, well, it was these certain people. If you're into the realm of philosophy, you would go over here and say, well, it's these people. If it's theology, you would say, well, that's a whole other group of people. But even sometimes some of the wisest people we know are not always the smartest people, but it's the people we know in our own lives. And we say, that was the wisest man or woman I've ever met. But in our world, there is this great debate on who is the smartest and who is the wisest. That's always the great debate because I want to follow the one that I think is the smartest or the wisest. But sometimes our opinions are based on prejudices or beliefs, things we've grown up in. Sometimes our opinions on who we think is the wisest or who we think is the smartest or or their opinions, the one I want to follow, is kind of based on who we are, how we were raised or what we were taught or what what we value. We base our answers on what we want, right? And that's something our society deals with. You can go on Google right now and you can find any answer you want to any topic. doesn't make it right, but I can validate my opinion. I can validate my knowledge just by a simple Google search. Now, whether it's right or not, it's a whole other story, but that's where we are in a society today. And social media and the Internet has really blown this up. You look at different social media apps, the algorithms are designed in such a manner that if I just keep my focus on the things that I prefer, then that's all I'm ever going to see, and it continues to validate my thoughts, what I want to hear. It may not be always factually right, But that doesn't matter because, as our world says today, everybody should live by their truth. They treat truth as a subjective thing. But why do we do that as a society? Why do we take truth and we make it subjective? Well, there's a famous quote from a movie that some of you have probably seen before. 
It's a movie called A Few Good Men. And in that movie, one of the characters, they're in the courtroom, and he yells, you can't handle the truth. And I believe that's where we are as a society, where we can't handle what truth is, so we twist it and we change it in order to fit what makes us feel better, what sugarcoats our problems. Instead of dealing with the real issues that are before us, we sugarcoat it so that everybody gets to feel better. One of the, one of the big topics of conversation is mental illness. And one of those that's kind of running rampant is this idea that people can just think that they're something when they're not. Right? They're not what God designed them to be. They're actually something different. Right? And so, so a lot of cases we've got this boom in transgenderism. Because I'm not who I was made to be. I am who I feel like I am. And instead of being adults in the room and saying, hey, we can't go down this route because we can't just play pretend to make ourselves feel better. Instead, we play pretend. You know who plays pretend? My two-year-old. He'll take Play-Doh at the house, and he's got one of those rolling pins, and he pretends he's cooking pizza, and he puts it on a plate, on a, on a piece of wood, and he hands it and says, here you go, Daddy, eat, eat. We play pretend, because he's two. But at some point, we've got to start playing like adults and have adult conversations. And not acting like two-year-olds. Making up our own rules as we go along. Just so everybody can feel like they belong. Just so everybody can feel like that what they're doing is not bad. That's a problem in our society. Because the biblical worldview says that we're all unrighteous. We've all got our problems. We've all got things that we struggle with. We've all got things that cause us to rebel against our Heavenly Father, our Creator. All of us do. And so we all need to be saved. We all need to be fixed. We all need to get back to righteousness. We can't just stay where we are. But that worldview, that biblical worldview, can come across as very hateful and bigoted, or at least by some in the world. There are those in the world that say that a biblical worldview is terrible. It's foolish, even. But because we can't be adults in the room making logical decisions that actually help people, we now have become more divided as a society. You look outside today, you watch the news. Don't turn any channel, any news channel you want. You go on social media, look at anywhere you want, you will see that our country, our society is divided. And it's caused a lot of heartache and a lot of pain, maybe even in your own homes. But there is truly a division, there is truly a line that will be drawn in the sand. There will be a true line that will be drawn, and that line comes from the message of the cross, or as Paul would say, the word of the cross in the ESV. And that word, that message will divide and will create a clear line that will be drawn, and the question for us today is which side of the line are we going to be on? Because you can't have one foot on one side and the other foot on the other. You will be on one side or the other. 
So let's look at today's text. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And we're going to go to verse 31, to the end of the chapter. Paul writes these words in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we give you the praise and the glory for our time of worship. God, we thank you for bringing us here to read your word, to study it. God, I pray that as we look at the message of the cross, God, may it remind us of the truth that is founded in it, but may it point to us the reality that is before us as believers. God, I pray that if anyone in here is lost, God, may the message of the cross point to that reality in their lives and they will see their need for salvation today. God, we thank you that you still save lives. God, you are still pouring out your love on those around us, God. You pour it out to us every day. We thank you for that blessing. God, may the words of my mouth be your words alone. And may our ears and our hearts be open to receive so that we can be encouraged but also convicted to go into this world and share the good news of the cross. God, we love you. We praise you in all things. And it's in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. So if we think about the message of the cross, there's three things about the message I want us to see. And we've already kind of talked about this a little bit. But the message divides. The message divides. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now again, last week we had this conversation about division in the church. What are things that are dividing us as a church? And we looked at the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was being divided over their preferences and their pride and the things that they, they, they really got, they lost sight of what truly mattered, basically. They lost sight of the things that truly mattered, the basics, the things that brought them, that united them together. They lost sight of that, and that was a problem. But now Paul is going to shift the conversation to you have this division in 10 through 17 
to now in verse 18, hey, here's a real division. And it's not going to be within the church. It's going to be between the truly saved and the perishing. Paul writes that the word of the cross is folly to the perishing, meaning it is foolish to the perishing. Who is the perishing? The perishing are those who are lost and bound for hell. Jesus told Nicodemus that God sent his only son into the world and that, so that no one would perish but have eternal life. Now, we quote John 3.16 all the time, but if you keep reading, you get to 3.18. And Jesus basically says it this way. He says that for those who do not believe, they are condemned already. And that condemnation leads to punishment, perishing into eternal hell. The opposite of that is true as well. The word of the cross for the saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross gives eternal life and it brings power from God to the believer. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul writes these words. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So the word of the cross is the gospel, and this gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Those of us who have experienced salvation, who understand that power, we see that power working within us. We see that power as we go out into this world through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We see that through that power, God saved us. Listen, I understand as a sinner, there's no way I can be saved on my own efforts. Because I am a sinner. I fall short. I rebel against God. But God in His grace and His goodness and His power has saved me. But only because of Him, but not because of me. But to those who have not believed, they don't understand this power, at least not yet. There are some who have not believed and they don't see the need for it. Why do I need the power? Why do I need salvation? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here because this is what Southerners do. We go to church on Sunday. You come, but you don't really see the need. For salvation. Maybe you're just here because I know I need to have my kids in church. You know, there's a period where, where, where high schoolers, when they graduate, there's a bad trend where, where about 80% leave church when they go to college and they don't come back. And most of the time, if they're going to come back, it's when they're 27. You know what happens when you're 27 year old? Typically, you're going to be having children. So guess what? I want my children to go to church. I want my children to be raised in the church. I want my church to raise my kids is what it ends up being. But hear me clear. If you're only here because you want your kids to be raised by the church, then you're missing the point of being in church. Sure, we will do everything we can to teach not only our kids, but you as well. 
We'll do everything we can to teach you God's word, to help you to know what to do and what your purpose is in this life. But the reason we are here today is because of the message of the cross. The reason we worship is because of the message of the cross. The reason I'm preaching to you is because of the message of the cross. And that message puts a dividing line as to whether you are saved or whether you are lost and perishing. And that is a true division that I pray that we see and we understand. And if we're on the opposite side of salvation, that we would recognize today our need for it. And that message of the cross, it's a very simple message. Yet to many it is foolish. Look at verse 19 through 25 with me. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. The simplicity of the message of the cross is found in verse 23. And it's those first few words in verse 23. It says what? But we preach Christ crucified. A simple message. But it is viewed as foolish among Many in our society, some would call them even the most well-educated minds of the day. Now, let me say at the beginning, I don't uh, have nothing against being educated. I pray we all can educate ourselves. But I believe there are many in our society today that use education as a religion to justify their ways. I'm going to show you that in a moment. But there are many in our world today that would say that belief in Jesus, belief in the cross, belief in the resurrection, belief in these things are foolish. Give you some examples. Richard Dawkins, one of the famous atheists of our time, said, be thankful that you have a life and forsake your vain presumptuous desire for a second one. Richard Dawkins says, quit worrying about an eternal life that you don't even get. And worry about the life that's before you. He says it's foolish to believe there's an eternal life. Benjamin Disrael, Disraeli. He says where knowledge ends, religion begins. Disraeli would say the only reason people are religious is because they stop chasing knowledge. I think you can still chase knowledge and truth and understanding and still be religious. Dan Barker says, scientists don't join hands every Sunday and sing, yes, gravity is real. I know gravity is real. I have faith. I believe in my heart that what goes up must come down. Amen. He says, if they did, you would think they were pretty insecure about the concept. 
I would tell Dan Barker, you don't understand why we're in church. It's not to massage our insecurities. It's to give praise to the one who has saved us. Ernest Hemingway said, all thinking men are atheists. Now understand, this is how the atheistic mind works. They fill their minds with philosophies and sciences and, they, and assume that they've got the universe figured out or at least they know that Christianity's not it. They'll, they'll probably say, well, we don't have the universe figured out. No one does, and that's true. But they say, well, at least, but it's not Christianity. It's not faith. It's not this over here. There's no way that's right. It's foolish to believe that there's some sky dad out there who made everything. That would be foolish to think such a thing. And yet, they'll say two random rocks collided and created everything in the known and unknown universe. It's foolish to believe that God made everything in six days, but yet believe in a theory that things progress. I'm not saying that there isn't some forms of evolution. We all evolve over time. We all change our minds. We all think through. But this theory that, that things that are now, you point to and say, well, that had to be evolution. The reason that, that, that creature doesn't have this anymore is because of evolution. Or they have it because of evolution. No, you know, that's just a faith-based science. Not our faith, obviously. But you can't point to anything and say, here it is in action. You can only point to it and say, I believe this is how it happened. Because none of us actually see it in action. It's faith-based. You can't see evolution in its process. Not in the way that a lot of scientists point out. It's faith. Now I go on this rant. Not not to get on a soapbox, but to show you this. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than man. You take time to study history. And it will be filled with mankind spending their entire lives trying to disprove God. They'll spend their entire lives justifying why they shouldn't, why God's not real, and that everything that they do is what's most important. And that's the biggest push. Is that, is that God's not real, so here's how it really works. And yet, the message of the cross has carried on for generation after generation. Mankind is full of people trying to fight God and have failed time and time again. The simple message of the cross has developed over history. It went from the garden to the tribes of Israel to the kings of Israel and Judah to now the Messiah, the Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was with God in the beginning creating all things made by Him, through Him, and for Him. And when mankind fell into sin, God already had a plan to send his one and only son to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Listen, you and I, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all do that. Before Jesus came into this world, 
Mankind used to have to sacrifice. They would go to the temple and they would provide the sacrifice in order to be back in favor with God. But the problem was over time, all of these, all these families would come and it would be vain. They wouldn't even come to do it. They just did it because that's what a good Jew did. A good Jew always brings the offering to the temple, whether they believed it or not. Many of them, in fact, came to church, gave their offering and left and went and worshipped an idol. That sounds like 21st century church to me. Many people walk in our doors, give their tithes and offerings, sing praises to God, and, and hear a message and walk out there and worship an idol as soon as they go home and turn on TV. We all do it. If we're not careful, we will all fall short in that way. This is why Jesus had to come to be the final sacrifice. His sacrifice covers all sin. And all that is asked of us today, church, is simple. Believe and submit. Believe and submit to his authority. That's it. For those who believe, they will receive eternal life. But those who refuse will receive eternal separation into death forever. And we understand we were made to serve our creator. We were made to worship our creator. And our rebellion separated us from our creator. And the only way to get back to our purpose, the only way to get back to the way we were designed to be is to be under Jesus. Now, many will try not to. I'm going to find my purpose over here. I'm going to find my purpose over here. I'm going to live by this truth and that truth, and that's going to give me my purpose. But yet, it's all for naught. And one day, those who call themselves wise who find their purpose in everything other than God. Verse 19 tells us, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernments of the discerning I will thwart. Paul's quoting Isaiah 29, 14, what God's going to do. All these things outside of God that we're chasing, all these things that we think are going to fulfill us, give us, give us purpose and meaning in this life, it's all going to be gone. And all that will be left will be those standing before the Lord. All those who chase after things and say that God's not real, that God is just a figment of the imagination, they'll all stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And they will receive their just punishment that even us deserve. Listen to me, lost person, if you're in here today. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ, don't be the person standing beside him. Be the person who will believe and be the one who will be able to boast in the end. Verse 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. We are able to boast as believers not because we were right and they were wrong. We're not able to boast because we did good things and they didn't. Lord knows we've done enough things that are not good. We are able to boast because of the Lord alone. Because of Jesus Christ alone who has saved us, who has given us wisdom, who has made us righteous, who has sanctified us, which means made us holy and has redeemed us through the blood of Christ. God took what was foolish in this world to shame the wise. He took what was weak to shame the strong. He took what was low and despised and one day he will exalt them for their humility. That's what it's about. It's what God did in our lives, church. What God did for us. He could have easily have left us for dead. He could have left us to our devices and left us to crumble on our own. But that's not God. God made a way where there was no way. He gave life where we were dead. He illuminated light when we were in nothing but darkness. Church, there is no reason to be timid about your faith. There's no reason to cower down when someone questions your faith. Church, we are saved by Jesus. Amen? We, are, we have been redeemed by His blood. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth being filled and boasting. God, You have saved me, not because of me. I will boast in You alone because You have called me to salvation. When you could have left me to die. You have been called church. Since you have been saved. You have been called to go and make disciples. And proclaim the gospel. So my question to us as we close. Is will you do that? Or will you continue to cower. In this world. God has called you. To make foolish the wise. God has called you, you who are weak, to be strong. What will you do? Maybe you're in here today and you recognize your need for salvation. Maybe today you've heard the gospel message, you've heard the message of the cross, and you realize today that you've only been here at church because of other reasons. You never truly put your faith in Jesus Christ. You realize that I, I do believe now, Pastor, and I want my church to know. Maybe you're in here and you want to be saved. You're just not sure that you will be. Let me tell you, you will be. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised her from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. But Pastor, how can I be saved after all I've done? I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good person, God. God's not, listen, God's not calling you to be good. He's calling on you to believe in the salvation that is provided through His Son, Jesus. And after the belief, He then works on you to sanctify you, to make you holy. Salvation is not for the perfect. It is far from it. It's for the imperfect. It is for me. It is for you. It is for all who will simply believe. And submit to the Lord today. So if that's you, will you come forward this morning? Maybe you're in here and you are a believer, but you've been, you've been allowing things to get in the way. You've been, you've been 
chasing everything else in this world to find your purpose lately. You've been feeling pretty empty lately because you haven't been chasing God. You've been chasing everything else. If that's you today, I want to call you to come to this altar and repent if you're able. You can stand. You don't have to bow if you can't. That's okay. We, maybe we've been in here and we've been a little convicted lately because we've been pretty timid about our faith in front of others lately. Maybe you just need to come to this altar and pray to the Lord for strength. And listen, we all can use prayer. Maybe you're in here today and you've had a tough week. It's been hard. I know a lot's going on. Maybe you just simply need to come to the Lord in prayer. I would love to pray with you. Maybe you bring a brother or sister down with you to this altar and pray together. Whatever it is that God is calling you today, church, church, now is the time that we respond faithfully. However God is leading you, will you follow? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We give you glory for your goodness. God, we, we can't boast in anything of our own. God, I'm a wretched sinner. I, I, I fall short daily. Even as a believer, as a pastor, I fall short daily. God, I pray for forgiveness of the things that I've fallen short on, God. God, I pray that, that for all of us, we would recognize that today and we would seek forgiveness and repent. And repent. God, I pray for the person in here who might be lost, God, that you would bring them to salvation today, that they would know that you will save them if they're willing to come and believe. God, we thank you for that salvation through Jesus. God, we thank you that while we are still sinners, your son died for us. And so, God, we thank you that you didn't give up on us when you could have, and you would have been justified. God, you loved us enough to send your only son. We praise you for that. God, I pray that however you are working on our hearts today, may we respond faithfully to that now. May we respond the way that you've called us to. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of the cross. And it's in your son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen.